This morning's reading comes from Revelation, and we're going to read in two parts, chapter 5, verses 9 through 12, and verse 7, 9 through 12. And they sang a new song with these words, You are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals and open it. For you were slaughtered, and your blood has ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have caused them to become a kingdom of priests for our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked again, and I heard the voices of thousands and millions of angels around the throne and the living beings and the elders, and they sang in a mighty chorus, Worthy is the Lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. After this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands, and they were shouting with a great roar, Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and four living beings. And they fell before the throne and their faces to the ground and worshiped God. And they sing, and y'all, let's say this together. You have it up here. They sing, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and power and power and strength belonging to the God forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you so much, Gabby, for doing that. Um, I know it's fifth Sunday. Number one, my name is D. Lanier. I'm one of your elders. Like, who is up here preaching today? Uh, one of your elders, and I have the privilege to uh, bring God's word today. And um, it is fifth Sunday, so I know kids are here and folks are hungry, so I'm going to do my best to stick to the script, okay? <laughs> All right? I'm going to do that. But I did have to take a couple of liberties just because, like, it was amazing to me, knowing that the Tollies were coming, uh, knowing that Emily was being baptized, and then later seeing in the bulletin for the first time myself and seeing, wait a minute, Mary's coming and sharing a missions moment? Uh, and then Trina is in the back doing slides. She's on the ones and twos. And so just to put all this together... How do I know these folks really, really well uh, when these two were younger and they were college students, they were also volunteers with the youth group in which I had the privilege of leading. And, uh, and so Mary was just chatting and she was like, yeah, I remember, remember when I was 19 years old and I was ride, driving the van and she had a van full of the youth girls and I had the youth boys in another van and then somebody rear-ended her, and it was crazy. We had just came, like, we, we had just came back from a high. Like, we just came from a missions opportunity, and uh, so we were doing some things. And then we had a little bit of a retreat. We went to Blueprint Church in Atlanta, and then our kids were singing some songs, and I was like, hey, you know who sings that? And they're like, I was like, that's uh, Show Baraka. She was like, yeah, and I was like, he's right there. And then she kind of froze up, and she said, um are you kidding me? I said, no. She said, is Lecrae here too? I said, that's who prayed for the pizza. And so it was just crazy because we had Tadashi, Lecrae, uh, Show Baraka, those of you who don't know, some Christian hip-hop artists, and, and our kids were hanging out with them. Um, so this is like throwback Sunday for me to see you all and, uh, and obviously the opportunity to bring God's word to you. 
Uh, Mom, don't worry, it's being recorded. It's being, it's on YouTube. Okay. Uh, <laughs> all right. Um, in, you know, in the work that I do, uh, I, I'm an educational technologist, and I also do uh, anti-racism, anti-bias work with schools and districts across the country. Uh, I've, I've also had the privilege of occasionally traveling, traveling internationally in order to kind of do some of the work that I do. And the combination of the work and being able to travel and growing up a military brat and traveling a lot there, uh, let me jump on the script to say I've traveled this majestic world. Yet Earth's wonders are shadows of the glory to come. Can we even fathom heaven? Heaven is like vaulted ceilings of ornate cathedrals, but not built by human hands. It's like the thrill of an untamed roller coaster without fear of falling. Heaven is poetry reading where every heart understands the metaphors. It's like a gallery show where anomalies all make sense. It's like green and blue bubbles coexisting without conflict or shaming. Some of y'all got that. Imagine pursuing purposeful work never tainted by drudgery. Imagine adventure without danger, just thrill. When and how we get there, yes, it is debated. So pre-trib, post-trib, pre-millennial, amillennial, if you don't know what those words are, it's all good. Because the why is sure. We just read it in the scripture. It says, because Jesus was worthy. He alone could break the seals and unleash God's redemptive plan. His blood purchased people from every nation to unite us in awe. Yes, heaven remains mysterious, but we need not grasp the details to know this. An eternal home is coming with endless joy in the presence of the Lamb. Let familiar routines reignite our wonder. Let creation and even church be glimmers of a greater glory. Through Revelation's lens, may we glimpse our eternal home until we stand face to face before the throne. Part one, a multi-ethnic kingdom. If you read in verses, uh, chapter five, verses nine through 11, it said every tribe and language and people and nation and you have caused them to become a kingdom of priests for our God, and they will reign on earth. And then John says, then I looked again, and I heard the voices of thousands and millions of angels around the throne and the living beings and the elders. So when Vaughn earlier read our church mission to all of you all, freeing people to enjoy God, hear his truth, grow in diverse community, and engage the world with the renewed dignity that comes from Christ, what attracted you the most to Christ Central? Okay, I'll play it a little bit safe. Let's assume that everyone here is first and foremost attracted to the word of God, the inerrant, perfect word of God. That being said, who here was brought to this church and stays at this church because of this declaration and this commitment to diverse community. Look around. Me too. I've had the privilege of preaching here at Christ Central uh, a few times now. 
But back in the day, since we're talking about Throwback Sunday, Pastor Giorgio asked if I would like to preach, and I said yes, and he asked which passage, and I gave him this passage, and he said, I think you should pick something else. So why? And he said, I think that's a little bit of too low-hanging fruit for you. I said, okay. And trust me, I carry no wounds for that restriction. In many ways, he was right. I'm a black man in an interracial church, and at the time, we had one biracial child about the same age as Emily. I grew up in Los Angeles and had exposure to diverse settings, including, like I said before, being a military brat, going to high school in Germany. We would take weekend excursions that would be like moving state to state, and we would be moving country to country. Going to Cal Berkeley, navigating from the West Coast to the Southeast, getting my master's in sociology focused on race relations. Being a minority in a predominantly white college ministry, but introducing everyone I knew to cross movement. That's a Christian hip hop group too. <laughs> When speaking of my love for Christ Central's diverse community, once Pastor Omari looked at me and he said, dude, you are cross-cultural community. <laughs> so, though all of what I said is true, I think Pastor Giorgio was right because 16 years later, I can hear John B. crooning and Tupac questioning, are you still down? I'll say a lot has changed in Christ Central over the years. But along with God's truth being faithfully proclaimed, this commitment to diverse community has anchored us here. It's a little piece of heaven that I long for, and I imagine you do as well. It's this uniqueness that we have like in America, especially in urbanized cities, and we learned in London too, where people from all corners of the world can congregate. According to the US Census data, Charlotte alone has some very interesting ethnicity stats. 40% white, 35% black, 7% Asian, 4% Hispanic. I'm not saying that every church needs to be ethnically diverse, but I will say that it shows some semblance of the gospel when a church aims to reflect the diversity of its surrounding community. Taking into consideration the historical and present reality of redlining, and gerrymandering and wealth and opportunity gaps that continue to serve as a wedge between people groups, the very opportunity for diversity to exist in this church is in part because God has brought all of these people in some form of proximity to one another and has given you both the desires and the vehicles to travel the miles together uh, to meet here together every Sunday. The fact that we all speak the same language have some form of cultural and intellectual common ground. Despite our differences and varying degrees of connection and understanding, all I mean to say is that what we have here is something unique. That not everyone even has the opportunity to experience what we have. Praise God. In Revelation, when John talks about what he sees in heaven, he sees something that the majority of the world outside of major metropolises could even imagine. Chapter 7, verse 9, he said, I saw a vast crowd too great to count from every nation and tribe and language and, and standing in front of the throne before the Lamb. If we could look at this picture a little bit differently, here's how I imagine it. 
John sees worshipers from every nation, tribe, and people, and language standing before the throne. He hears voices unite as a massive waterfall and, and peals of thunder. This ain't a choir of homogenous clones. It's a multi-ethnic kingdom infused with diversity and united in purpose. It's like Afro-Latin funk band with drums from Africa, trumpets from Brazil, and guitars from, from Spain. It's a fusion food truck serving kimchi quesadillas and curried bratwurst. It's a church as colorful as Joseph's coat, stitched together from every shade and style. Some of y'all will catch this reference. It's cross colors meets true religion, because yes, God is dope. Compare this to our divided world. Fractions over race, politics, status, discord instead of harmony. Fractured communities oppressed by class, nationality, gender, skin tone. Does that resemble the kingdom that John saw? Revelation's vision is radically inclusive, beckoning us to reconciliation. It demands we repent from prejudice within ourselves and disassociate ourselves from the social and institutional constructs that define and stratify us. Look around. How did we get here? How will we get there? Part two, reconciliation, the slain lamb. Chapter five, verse nine, again says, you are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals open, for you were slaughtered and your blood was ransomed for people of God. Worthy is the lamb who was slaughtered. We'll spend the majority of our time here because it is the reconciling work of Christ that helps us appreciate the representation of heaven and the necessity of our response to it. As we dive in these passages, let me ask, when you read about the diverse multitude gathering around the throne, raise your hand if you see the beauty of every race singing, holy, holy is the lamb. Read it again. Where and why did you read into the text the word race? If your translation says race, fam, you got a bad translation. Consider this. So in the anti-racism work that I do, I always level the conversation about racism to say we're not going to have a conversation about racism unless we first have a conversation about race. And I challenge every single one of you, as I do everyone else, to just look for yourselves and see, when was race created? Why was race created? How was race created? Baked into that question is, what is this thing called race anyway? So if you were to cheat by using the computer in your pocket, fact check me on this, you'd learn that race, as we know it, was created not anciently, but relatively recently. And unfortunately, not by wicked heathen, but by people claiming to be Christian. Redeemed by the same blood you and I see here in the scripture to unify. Instead, they saw it as a way to divide and conquer. This is heavy. So-called Christians in the 1700s used a fabricated delineation between skin tones as a way to falsely scientifically separate a species, the human species, that's what race means, 
not just separated by tribe or kinship, but in the form of lesser and greater forms of humanity. To make things worse, worse in works such as the Chronicles of the Conquest of Guinea, the institution of slavery was defended as a strategic means of sharing the gospel to Africans. From this, we can easily deduce that the real motivation for inventing this social construct called race was to justify the annihilation of indigenous peoples and the removal of lesser humans from their land, to capture, sell, and export people like commodities so they could cultivate a land for the pursuit of heaven on earth. That free labor could be extracted from those who could help fry the chicken, perfect its flavoring, with seasoning native to their own land, but hardly ever partake of it, unless generously gifted by Massa, or stolen away like their bodies were from the land in which they knew opposite seasons. To quote ta Coates, and I quote, race is the child of racism, not the father. In the US, great lengths were made by the government, scientific community, and yes, even Puritans, to justify a system of oppression for financial gain. The Anglican hymn writer William Cooper is celebrated for his song, sympathized with for his sufferings, and he wrote marvelous hymns such as God Moves in a Mysterious Way and There is a Fountain Filled with Blood. But my mother and I were in the African American Historic Museum and I saw a quote by him and it made me pause. In 1788, he wrote, I own I am shocked at the purchase of slaves and fear those who buy them and sell them are knaves. What I hear of their hardships, their tortures and groans is almost enough to draw pity from stones. I pity them greatly, but I must be mum. For how could we do without sugar and rum? For some of us, it is easier, and for others, it is impossible to overlook the conflict of love of theology and the love of, human, of humanity. And I confess, I find it hard to celebrate apologists who are also not abolitionists. I have lots of questions about someone's faith in that circumstance. But maybe, just maybe, I'll have a chance to ask them about it in heaven. The point is, it wasn't lesser minds and some backwards, backwoods bumpkins who came up with these crazy ideas. No, it was some of the most brilliant minds that came up with concepts such as manifest destiny and the doctrine of discovery. My kids are studying this right now. Don't believe me? You can read for yourself R.L. Dabney, a Presbyterian preacher and theologian he wrote a defense of Virginia in the South. He literally wrote marvelous works on systemic, excuse me, <laughs> systematic theology, but he meticulously defended the system of slavery. All of this I share with you to paint a picture for us to understand what the Lord overcame just considering the sins of America. Imagine people from every region throughout all of human history, not only seen as other or disliked, but separated, conquered, and destroyed by tribalism, ethnocentrism, and nationalism, 
tribe, tongue, nation. As seen in the Hundred Years' War, the Mongol conquest, the Crusades, the Thirty Years' War, the Holocaust, the Rwandan genocide, the Bosnian War, the current war in Palestine, between Palestine and Israel and Gaza right now. Jesus died to bring all of these types of people under the same banner of his love. Do you see it differently now? The lamb is worthy because he's slain for every nation, creating representation and building unity through his blood. Christ Central Church belongs today because we all say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But how was this representation accomplished? By none other than the reconciling work of the slain lamb. He was slain for this. It makes me think, like, imagine if on that slide right there, that beautiful pristine cross instead was an image of a guillotine. Imagine if you saw hanging on multiple people's rear view mirrors a electric chair representation, a form of execution. What if put on a gold chain and hanging from it was a medallion that symbolized a noose? We forget that the cross wasn't gold or platinum or diamond studded. It was rugged and it was bloodied and it was covered in spit and excrement and the blood that poured from his head the reopened and tearing flesh from his back, the spear, the spear that was thrust in his slide. See, when we think of the cross, oftentimes we think closed casket, when we should be thinking Emmett Till. We sanitize the cross and make it beautiful paintings with the glow of the sun rising over it, draped in a purple cloth, set glowing prominently between two other empty, pristine sun-kissed crosses forgetting they were occupied by two criminals. And in the middle, the crowds were shouting at an innocent man, a perfect man, the son of God who gave his life and his blood was poured so people, guilty, sinful, reprehensible people from every nation, tribe, tongue, would find themselves in the very throne room of heaven and joining with the creatures of heaven to sing, holy, holy, holy. Jesus bore the wounds to remind us of his torturous death. He was forever marred so that we would be renewed with perfect hearts, minds, and bodies. And as far as I can tell, and you can scroll up to verse 6 from chapter 5 to see for yourself, as far as I can tell, Jesus is the only one with a glorified body who will still bear the wounds for us to physically see, even in heaven for eternity. When he returned from his death, he showed his scars, though he could pass through walls. When we think of what we will see in heaven, we will constantly see the reminder of what it cost him for us to be there. Part three, responsiveness. Our worship and witness. Chapter 5, verse 12, and they sang in a mighty chorus, worthy is the lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. All praise. Sorry, I'm not going to do it. I see John Wells here. Somebody knows that song. Um, 
They sang, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength belong to our God forever and ever, amen, my Christ Central family. Some may remember when our original vision to be eclectic community, he used to say this, okay, um, to be an eclectic community, engaging in authentic worship and working for the redemption of all creation through Christ. That word eclectic, it's key. Because diversity or representation alone is not enough. We must have quality of life together. This requires cultural responsiveness, understanding differences, recognizing biases, looking beyond barriers to connect. It means being aware of our own cultural identity while learning from others. It's more like a salad bowl than a melting pot. Different ingredients mixed, not melted. Distinction, not lost, but enhanced when tasted alongside complementary flavors. What's a day, what a day it'll be like in heaven when we fully grasp each other's languages, references, reactions, distinct yet understood, a wonder beyond earthly recognition. This heavenly relevance exists because Christ's brutal and beautiful sacrifice. Though perfect, he was pierced. Though innocent, he bore our sins to make us holy. How will we respond in heaven alongside the angels and heavenly creatures? As we should respond today, with worship. We will sing and shout and declare with one voice, holy, holy, holy is the lamb. But worship is not enough. Our witness must reflect the kingdom's diversity. Our lives should be one of repentance. We should walk without prejudice and fear. We speak against injustice. We sacrifice privilege to serve the marginalized. Our very lives, the decisions we make, and the keen awareness that others are watching and evaluating if this Jesus thing is real and if heaven is really a big deal, simply looking at our actions as well as our inactions to see how we respond to what's happening today. The lamb is worthy because his blood was shed for every tongue, tribe, and nation. Let's reflect on his inclusive kingdom in our worship and witness today. Let's walk this road with patience and perseverance, keeping our eyes on the Holy Lamb who reconciles all creation. The day is coming when divisions will cease and understanding will reign. Our journey is just beginning, but take hope. One day, we will fully understand each other in the presence of the Lamb. Until then, we walk with conscientiousness and courage. We choose love over hate, compassion over indifference. We lean into discomfort, keep learning, listening, listening more than we speak. We will fail at times. So return to the foot of the cross with humility and hope. We renew ourselves again and again to live as one body, many members united in Christ. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, as we await the glorious day. May we worship and witness on earth a resemblance of the diversity that surrounds your throne. Amen? Amen.